most exciting days in world history was the day when the missionary movement began. And it began in Acts chapter 13, and I want you to turn there for a moment to verse 1, just to recall how all of this got started. Because missions did not start uh, with a group of people in Germany or in Nashville or in Manila, but it started uh, many, many years ago uh, in a very unique church called the church at Antioch. And the Bible says in verse 1, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Bible tells us that they then laid hands on them and prayed for them and sent them on their way. Now I want you to take note by way of introduction regarding the church at Antioch that it was an international church. There were people there from many nationalities. That should be said of any soul winning church that there are people there from many different backgrounds. But you know the uniqueness of a church is not necessarily the fact that it has a distinctive cultural makeup. The uniqueness of a church is what they believe and how they worship. And these people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us something about the missionary beginnings. In verse 2 it says, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. In other words, this was a church that was serious about God. This was a church that took time to pray and to fast. Fasting uh, is an exercise spiritually that uh, people partake of when they are telling God, God, we want to know you. More than we want the pleasures of ourself, we want to know you. And so we lay aside food in order that we might have your presence real. What I want you to see is that this was not some kind of a loosey-goosey church. It was not some kind of a group of people that were just doing religion. It was not like the modern-day churches that are given to uh, some kind of entertainment mentality. They were serious about God. And until we get serious about God and his calling upon our life, we may never hear the calling for missions. We may never hear the calling for uh, soul winning or for doing the work that God has for us. And so the Holy Spirit of God uh, could move freely in this church because they were a church that was totally yielded to him. Oh, how we need this today. How we need to hear even this morning from God concerning his desire to move. I believe with all of my heart that God, the same God that called Saul and Barnabas, could touch a young man or a young woman's heart today and say, I want to separate you for the Philippines. I want to separate you for Portland. I want to separate you for Los Angeles. I believe the same God that called these first missionaries is calling missionaries today. The problem is there is so much entertainment, so much distraction, so much selfishness in the average Baptist church that we are not hearing God when he calls us. And oh, how we need to say to the Lord this week, Lord, more than anything, I want to hear from you. And so I want you to come with me this morning to this first missionary journey and I want you to learn about God's leading 
and how we can labor together for the harvest. I want you to see that these men, Paul and Barnabas, were men that were together in their calling. They were men that were, first of all, together in their purpose of ministry. You see, as we read in chapter 14, we begin to see about these early ministries and these early stops. The Bible says they went to Iconium. They then come to Lystra. We see in verse 7 it says, and there they preached the gospel. Would you say that phrase with me, please? And there they preached the gospel. I was reading an article yesterday, and there are so many ministries that use the term gospel, and they talk about the gospel, but what they're talking about many times is a social gospel. They're talking about uh, maybe distributing food, or they're talking about maybe some type of uh, getting involved in an, in an orchestra, or getting involved in a civic meeting, and, and kind of just being there as a Christian. But when you study the New Testament and you find the word gospel, it was not an ornamental decoration for a website. It was a message to be preached, and there they preached the gospel. The gospel is not just a tagline or a word that we place on our website. It is the only hope of a lost and dying world. And so when they went to Iconium and Lystra, the Bible says, there they preached the gospel. We are not supporting missionaries that are merely going to do medical work, though they may. We are not supporting missionaries that are merely going uh, to help plant crops, though they may do some things of that nature to find an inroad or a relationship. Fundamentally, we are supporting missionaries who are soul winning, church planting missionaries, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see these first missionaries preaching the gospel. And there they preached the gospel. They were very predictable. They would go into a city, oftentimes immediately to a synagogue. And there they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, there is nothing spiritual ever built without the strong, declarative preaching of the Word of God. The Bible teaches us, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. And many churches today are endeavoring to do just the opposite, to have a soft-spoken, uh, kind of a laid-back preacher, and the most loud and blaring time is the, pre is the music time. Let me tell you something. We need some thunder in the pulpits once again where the gospel is being proclaimed with authority. The death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think of the book of Ezra, chapter 6 and verse 14. The elders of the Jews build it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, uh, the prophet. Uh, and I think about these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, as the building of the temple was going on, they were preaching. Why? Because the people needed encouragement. Haggai 1 and 13, then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. You see, preaching will stir up the heart. And this is what the missionaries did. They went into a town and they preached. And sometimes people say, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know, just standing up and preaching the gospel. But never forget, there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing spiritual is built without the preaching of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's why I pity 
activity today, the so-called Church of Christ, they have the message entirely wrong. They teach a doctrine called baptismal regeneration. They teach that salvation is found in the baptistry water. My friend, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 17 and 2 tells us, And Paul, as his manner was, went in three days Sabbath and reasoned with them out of the Scripture, as his manner was. Now let me tell you something, students. It ought to be our manner while we're in Bible college to carry gospel tracts and to talk about Jesus Christ. This is an unusual semester, and you've done so well. And uh, the society at large is kind of telling us, stay in, wear a mask, and all these things. And we're doing our best. But I was thinking as we were singing that song a moment ago, so little time. Just as soon as this thing breaks up, just as soon as we have the liberty, maybe later next semester, we're going to load up all 20 of those buses across the parking lot here. We're going to go down to Los Angeles and pick the most needy area, and there we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, uh, we have a time when God seems to tell us uh, right now we need to be careful. And during this time, I want to challenge you. It may be just a still small voice. It may be just a, a tract here or there or someone at work. Do your best to stay soul conscious during COVID. But what I love about the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, as we look at this missionary journey, wherever they went from city to city, there they preached the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 and 16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. God has placed a calling on the lives of many in this room and others the Lord is stirring this week. And, and central to that stirring is the need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see that they labored together in their purpose. And their purpose was to preach the gospel. And their purpose was to publish the good news of Jesus Christ. Notice in chapter 13, if you would, and verse 46, the Bible says, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Here we see that God was allowing Paul and Barnabas to publish uh, the good news of the Lord and to see that they would hear the gospel. And notice there in verse 49 what it says, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Would you say that with me? And the word of the Lord... I remember visiting Dr. Rick Martin in the Philippines several years ago, and our group had just arrived, and we came into the office area of the church. And I asked Dr. Martin, I said, would you show us, Dr. Martin, what you're doing to reach this area for Christ? And uh, he brought out a map of the Philippines, and he began to show us how that the graduates of the Iloilo Baptist College, how that they had gone from one part of Iloilo to another, and from one part of the Philippines to another. And, and from this little Bible college in Iloilo, there were red strings going out all over the nation of the Philippines. You may find this hard to believe, 
there were 1,000 little red dots where graduates of the Iloilo Baptist College had started churches in the Philippines. There were several dozen little green dots where the graduates had started Bible college so that they could capture their region for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that happens when a man of God goes to a place and says, I'm going to publish the gospel throughout this region and I'm going to train others to do the same. And some of you, while you are here, need to get a burden for a region. I know in my life, I determined that nobody would come into this northern LA county and live here for a 12 month period without hearing about the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why we've gone to two and 300,000 doors every single year. And that's why we have an extension ministry in Mojave and, and over in Rancho Vista. And that's why we run buses and start missions uh, in different places and support missionaries. Why? We want to publish the gospel throughout this region. But the reason we have the missions conference is that there are many regions that do not have the gospel. And students... You ought to be praying, Lord, where would you have me to go? What would you have me to do, Lord, in this area to publish the gospel so that others might know? The Bible tells us in Acts 20 of Paul's methodology in Ephesus. Acts 20 and verse 19 says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I believe that every missionary ought to be a missionary that several times a week is going to a subway station, going uh, out into the streets, passing out the gospel, going from door to door, from place to place, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But wait a minute, that's not just the job of the missionary. That's the job of every Christian to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh, that we would have that. I had a call some time ago and someone was asking me, saying, I'd like to ask you about someone to, to be a pastor. Could you tell me about how many they have led to Christ in the last year or so? A very direct question. I could not think of one. My friend, it ought not to be said of any God-called person that you could go a 12-month period without leading one person to Jesus Christ. It ought to be our heart's desire, as Paul said, my prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. Oh, that we would understand the importance of, of really being together in our purpose of getting the gospel out. Dr. Hudson often said the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. And I'm telling you, uh, there are even those in ministry today that are not obedient in this area. And many in Christian colleges today that are not obedient in this area. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It is a commandment from our captain, from the King of Kings and Lord Lord of Lords, and this is not about just being a part of some corporate conglomeration of, of some type of a gospel talk. This is about individually taking the gospel to a world that needs to be saved. How many Christians today will have their concerts and they'll sing about the gospel and talk about the gospel and seminars talking about the gospel and yet no one is being baptized in their churches which is indicative of the fact that no one is coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are not here laboring together for religion. 
We are not here laboring together uh, for some corporation. We're not here laboring together for education. We are here laboring and striving together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they were together in their purpose. I think often of a man that was saved here some years ago. And uh, his name was, uh, was Arash. Arash came into our church on, on Sunday. He had come to America on Saturday from Iran. I won't go into the whole story. But we were able to lead Arash and his wife to Christ. They attended chapel for about a semester. They learned through our continued discipleship program. Uh, they took some classes of Bible doctrine. We extended their visa as long as we could, but finally the time came when they had to go back to Iran. And I remember telling him, now, 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 Arash, be careful. There are people in prison right now simply for trying to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. They got over into Iran, and every so often I'll get a little text or an email. He'll tell me about the fact that he led his brother to Christ, his mother to Christ. He said to me one time, he said, I've spoken to more than 1,000 people about Jesus Christ. He said, some of them walk away when I begin to talk to them. But the fact of the matter is that while he is there and we are here, there's a spirit amongst us that we are laboring together in 2020 for the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And listen, the Holy Spirit is not bound uh, by a government that's given over to Islam or communism. The word of God is not bound. There are millions of Christians in China today. What we must do is simply obey the great commission of Jesus Christ. And so we see that they were together, Paul and Barnabas, in their purpose. But I want you to see, secondly, they were together in their persecution. You know, something that I never heard much about when I was in college, and maybe, maybe I didn't pay attention real well, I don't know. But no one ever really told me that, boy, there's going to be some heartaches in the ministry. There's going to be some challenges that come. I look out and see Brother Pridgen here today, and I very well remember when their little baby went home to be with the Lord while they were on the mission field. And yet, they went back to the mission field. We call that a calling of God. You see, there's no guarantee in the Christian life that it's just going to all be easy. It's just going to always be open doors. And we see that in the first missionary journey. And I, I want you to notice as Paul and Barnabas come into this place called Lystra, that at first some good things start to happen. There is this demonstration of God's work. Verse 8 says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who, had, who, had, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving him, the perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down in the likeness of men. Now here we see the power of God resting on the apostle Paul. The heathens thought that Paul had raised up this man. But we know it was not Paul, it was the Lord Jesus Christ working through Paul. And when we look at verse 8, we see a real need. The Bible says the man was crippled from his mother's womb. He had never walked. Three different ways the Bible says this man was crippled 
from his mother's womb, he had never walked. And so what we're studying here is a real miracle. This is not uh, someone that got healed from a migraine headache. This is not some phony baloney faith healer on television. This was a man that was literally crippled. And yet for that real need, we see a real power. We see that there was an apostolic power. The apostle Paul was used of God in bringing about the healing of this man who had been crippled from his mother's birth. And may I say that while we do not believe in faith healers today, nor are we living in the apostolic age in the same sense, but we do have available to us the same power, and we need the power of God in our lives in this hour. Ephesians 3 and 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians 6 and 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I want to just simply say that a missionary must have the power of God on his or her life. They must have an endowment of the power of God. They are facing all kinds of witchcraft. They are facing all kinds of demonic activity. And they must go in the power of Almighty God. Years ago, there was a group of preachers discussing an upcoming revival meeting. And they were discussing who they would like to have for the preacher for the revival meeting. And one of the uh, older preachers said, I would like to recommend that we have D.L. Moody come. One of the younger preachers with a tinge of jealousy said, well, why do we have to have Moody? Why does everybody always suggest having Moody? Does he have some kind of a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? To which the older preacher said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but... Be filled with the Spirit. Paul the Apostle, filled with the power of God, now sees this great miracle taking place. We see this demonstration of God's power. And, and I'm not necessarily looking to see uh, someone's uh, leg turned or changed or healed in that sense, though God can do that. But let me remind you today that when one precious soul comes to know Christ in a service or out soul winning, that is the miracle of Almighty God. And that should be something that we desire to see in our lives and in our ministries, and they, they saw this demonstration of God's power. But then I want you to notice what happens in verse 11. It says, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down. Suddenly, this pagan group of people, they begin to say, oh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, th this is Mercury and Jupiter, the gods, our pagan gods that we've been praying to in the, in the streets, we've been calling out, they have come and they are in our midst and they, this bizarre action takes place. Sometimes there are cultural issues that you need to understand in order to help to properly disciple people on the mission field. Sometimes uh, there will be confusion that takes place. And you'll notice what Paul says. It says in verse 14, And when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of this, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? And he goes on to say, We are men of like passions with you. In other words, he is going to reject the worship that was given to him. Now this would have been a time when Paul and Barnabas could have said, Hey, this is pretty good. You know, fan us with the fan, the palm fan, and bring us some grapes. And, and uh, they could have allowed this to go on for a while, but they would not for one single second 
receive worship that belonged only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bible for a moment to 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, to the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I see a great measure of humility from the Apostle Paul here. Instead of receiving the accolades for the miracle, he tore his clothes. He, he rent his robe. This was a Jewish symbol of saying, I reject what you were doing. I will not receive what you were doing. The glory belongs to God. It does not belong to me. You're going to find when you get around great missionaries that they're not going to tell you about what they've done. They're going to tell you about what the Lord has done through them. They're going to be careful to give God the glory for the great things he has done. Any religion apart from Christ is vain, and they did not want to be receiving glory that belonged to the Lord, and so they deflected the worship. They deflected it back to the Lord. Hey, let me just help you with something. Anything that ever comes that is good to your ministry is a gift from God. Someone says, oh, that was a good sermon. You ought to be just quick to say, thank the Lord. Not in a false piety, but from a true heart. Oh, that was a great, a great uh, victory you had in the ministry. Thank the Lord for what he did. Paul gave the glory back to God. But notice not only the demonstration of God's power and the deflection of this false worship, but also I want you to see the danger of preaching Christ. Notice verse 19. When they were come thither, certain Jews, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now here's Paul and Barnabas, and, and they're teaching and preaching and seeing people converted and healed in Lystra, but now from Iconium, the Bible tells us, now coming all the way from another region, verse 19 says, from Antioch and Iconium come the Jews. These were Jews that were bothered by the gospel. They were bothered by the idea that Jesus was Messiah. They viewed Paul and Barnabas as troublemakers. And I want you to mark this down, that if you intend to be faithful to the Lord, there will be some that view you as a troublemaker. I want you to understand that there are people now, even running for office, people now that view the church as a problem. They view our fundamental commitment to the scripture as problematic because we believe there is only one way to heaven. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. We believe that the idea of two men living together is called sin. We believe that uh, every man uh, is created by God, that we are not here by accident. Now, students, do you understand that if you intend to be a missionary, a pastor, a servant of God, that you are going out into a world that hates the message of the Bible? As a pastor, I try to help our people understand how to stand in a day, how to be willing to suffer 
even for some, just coming to church has been so difficult because the media has them somewhat uh, discouraged and worried, and, and, and the media seems to set the tone. And yet, here we see in the Word of God that Paul and Barnabas, all they're doing is soul winning, all they're doing is healing the sick, all they're doing is helping others, but they are hated so much that these Jews come from 40 miles away to find them and to cause them harm. Notice the Bible says in 2 Timothy, would you turn there for a moment, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I wish that I could stand up here and tell you, if you go out soul winning, if you live a clean life, if you help your neighbor, if you run buses for those that have uh, some special needs, if you support missionaries, if, if, if you do good works, then, then things are just going to go great for you. And, and, and you're going to have everything you ever wanted, and everyone's going to like you, and it's just going to be awesome all the time. But if I said that to you, I would be lying to you. Our missionaries that are going to Nicaragua and, and uh, going down to Mexico and going to Africa and these various places, this brother in Lebanon, it is, it is impossible to serve God and have no trouble. There will be trouble. There will be challenges that come our way. And as God called people, we must be willing to stand in the midst of that day and recognize that this is part and parcel with being a Christian. That's not what our society, our Christian society today wants, but that's what we see in the scriptures. I think about Titus. Paul the apostle said to Titus, he said, Titus, I want you to go to Crete and set in order the things that are wanting Titus did that. He was in Crete until the age of 105. He, actually the age of 94, he was there until A.D. 105. He died at the age of 94 on the island of Crete. He went to Crete. He suffered much in the way of humiliation and harm, but he was faithful. He was faithful to train up the pastors that he met. He helped them to uh, understand the doctrine. There was no Bible college per se, but, but he helped them to grow in the understanding of their doctrine. In 250 AD, about 150 later, years later, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Decius. Decius came, and he came to the island of Crete, and he demanded that everyone on the island worship him as God. There were 10 men on the island, 10 men whose fathers were trained by Titus, 10 men who had become pastors. Last year, I visited their graves. They're called the 10 insurmountable martyrs of Crete. When Decius the emperor came to the island of Crete, they said, we will not bow to you as deity. And those 10 men were literally drugged through the streets. They were beheaded in front of all of those around the city of Gorton, Crete. They died as martyrs for their faith. 
By the way, I pray that not one of you ever faces martyrdom. But I also pray that you have enough of a conviction that is placed in you through the preaching of the Word of God in this college that wherever you go, you will not be one of these guys that starts dropping services, dropping the name Baptist, just having a little rock and roll service, preaching maybe a little bit of the Bible when it's encouraging, being one of these compromisers that doesn't stand for the Word of God uh, and, and that starts to kind of bow down to the things of the world. I pray that if it comes to it, that you will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ even in the face of adversity, even when there come times where you are in danger. I think, Brother Sisk, of how many missionaries we've seen. I think of Brother Pittman's son who was so brutally beaten in, in Africa some years ago. I think of others that have faced difficult times and yet they go back and they go back and they go back. Paul the Apostle suffered such difficult times and yet he was faithful. Notice this difficult time here. The Bible says these Jews came and persuaded the people, and notice the next part, and having stoned Paul. Having stoned Paul. Oh, here's Paul and Barnabas. Hey, this is exciting. The church just laid hands on us. They gave us some dates. They gave us some food. They, they, they gave us some, uh, some bread. And here we go. We're going to go do some preaching. Hey, this is fun. Uh, I think about many teenagers. They think a mission strip is just that, a trip. They want to go see some culture. They want to see a lion. They want to see a monkey. They want to go down and river rafting. And they think that's what a mission strip is. But suddenly, Paul and Barnabas realize, hey, there's more to a mission strip than traveling and learning about a different culture, suddenly the stones were flying toward the Apostle Paul. Now they were together in persecution. But I want you to notice finally they were together in persistence. Notice how they persist through this. I want you to see something that's beautiful. Verse 20. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him. I want to just pause right there. When your pastor is attacked because he preaches against abortion. I hope you're the kind of a person that writes him an encouraging letter. When you hear of a missionary that's going through a tough time, I hope you're the kind of person that prays for them. You see, we have today in America what is called the woke churches. These are churches that are teaching social justice. These are churches that are trying to be cool and kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, be blending in with the philosophies of the world. They don't preach too hard against abortion or the gay movement. They're woke. They're cool. What they are is compromising. What I'm saying is that when a preacher preaches uh, the truth of the Word of God and is unpopular, I see in this verse some people that come, and it, it tells us in verse 20, they stood round about him. They, 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 they no doubt were burdened. Did you know that one of those that was there at Lystra who stood around the Apostle Paul was a young man whose name was Timothy? Timothy's first view of the ministry was not a man in a, in a nice suit standing behind a nice platform with a beautiful auditorium. Uh, he was not called to the ministry because he saw a preacher uh, living a nice life. His first view of the ministry was Paul the Apostle in a pool of blood. And he still said, I'll be in the ministry. 
I'm glad we have this nice auditorium. I'm glad we have dorms. I'm glad we have a 100-acre developed campus. All of that is great. But let me just remind you, when we came to Lancaster Baptist, I came to a foreclosed building, a building in foreclosure. I came to no salary. My wife and I moved into a two-bedroom apartment that was so small we couldn't set up our bedroom furniture. The first day when my wife was trying to unpack, a lady came in. She was high on drugs, and she just walked into the apartment. She had an epileptic seizure. That was the first woman my wife met in the city of Lancaster. The first week that I was here, someone broke into my office. I had just put up my ordination certificate. I had just put up my college diploma and my library. They took the library. They took those certificates, put them on the ground, poured Kool-Aid all over them, stole our little speaker system that we had bought for our, our launch Sunday, took all of it, stole it, and left behind nothing that was of value. I realized right from the very first week that there was a devil that did not want me in Lancaster. And I want you to recognize that there will be adversity. There will be challenges that come. And here we see these, these believers gathering around the Apostle Paul. They're identifying. But now I want you to see what Paul does because we can learn from it. In verse 20 it says, and he rose up. Would you say those three words with me? He rose up. Let's say it. You may be sick this semester like 8R. You may be having difficulty financially. You may have some challenges, but I want to challenge you that whenever the devil knocks you down to get back up, he rose up. He rose up. And the Bible tells us not only did he rise up, but he came back into the city, and the next day he departed with Paul and Barnabas. Think about this missionary. Remember, this is a missionary on the first missionary journey. Hey, how'd it go? Well, I was stoned. They thought I was dead, but I got up. And what did he do? He went back into the same city. And when he got into that same city, he preached the same gospel. And the next day, he went to the next city of Derby, 40 more miles away, maybe with a limp, maybe with a broken arm, maybe with a broken skull. I do not know. But he kept going for God. And God give us some men in this room who will graduate from this college and will keep on going and keep on going. And when they're made fun of for being conservative, when they're made fun of for being always so winning, when they're made fun of because they've got a short haircut or some standards that they just keep on going for the Lord Jesus Christ. He kept on preaching the gospel, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Oh, how we must have this today. We had a man that taught in our college years ago, Brother Getch, remember Dr. Eldon Martins? Dr. Martins was a wonderful man, a strong Bible believer, fundamental brother. Dr. Martins had a passion for young men to come up into the ranks and to be faithful. He wrote me a letter on my 25th anniversary here at the church. Such an encouraging letter. He said, I counted an honor to know he was a friend, a fellow pastor, and now my pastor and a member of your staff. He talked about how the Lord had blessed in our ministry. He said, I want to thank you for your faithfulness, your statesmanship, and the vision and inspiration that you are. I believe the greatest days are yet ahead. He wrote the letter January 27th, 2011. He put a stamp on it. 
He put it in a mailbox. He went to his bedroom. January 27th, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, God called him home. One of the last things he did in his life was to try to encourage another preacher. To try to say to me, hey, it's been 25 years, but just keep going. Just keep going. You see, when we talk about laboring together, that's what this is about. That's what we want to say to our missionaries. That's what they want to say to us. The missionaries don't want to come back four or five years from now and say, hey, what happened to that really sharp junior that was in the college? Oh, he did? He did that? What happened to that really sharp senior? He, was, uh, he talked with me about maybe coming to Africa for a, a missions trip someday. Really? He's in the Kumbaya Community Church? In the band doing that? That's what he's doing? These missionaries come back every four years and sometimes they say to me, you can't believe how some of the churches have changed. You cannot believe what's going on. You see, when you're gone for four years, it's just more distinct in your mind what you see. May they come back and see some of you four years from now. May they say, man, that young man, John, that I met at West Coast Baptist College, he is, he is preaching. He is instant in season, out of season. He's being faithful. Hey, we're all in this together, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it tells us here as we close verse 21. It says, after he went to Derby, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. Look it. He returned again to Lystra. What happened at Lystra, tell me? What did they do to him? He went right back. Oh, we think of Jim Elliott. We can name so many today. They went right back. What were they doing? Verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples. Hey, we believe in confirmation. Did you know that? They were confirming the souls. There was these baby Christians there, the ones that gathered around him when he was in the pool of blood. Maybe he went back and said, now look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't compromise. Don't follow the Judaizers. Listen, Jesus Christ, he, he is the Son of God, and they confirm them in their faith. Sometimes we call it discipleship. And they exhorted them. What did they exhort them to do? To continue in the faith. Would you say that with me, please? To continue in the faith. You know, some of our missionaries right now, as they're away from the field, they're thinking about the church back in Africa, back in Nicaragua. I wonder how the folks are doing. Boy, I, I can't wait to get back and confirm them. I want to encourage them to continue to be faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I want you to turn finally to Acts chapter 18, verse 23. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening all the disciples. That's the heart of the missionary. It starts with there they preached the gospel. Then they go to another place and there they preach the gospel. Then they go back. We gotta strengthen them, we gotta confirm them, and we've gotta teach them about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We gotta let them know that, that uh, we believe all of God's revelations found in the Bible. We don't need to do this tongue talking and be careful about this false teacher. All right, let's pray. And then they go over here and there they preach the gospel. Then they come over here. Now they're confirming this group and helping this group. And now this group has a man and he's really, for the last two years, been developing. And now this man is ordained and now he's established as a 
pastor in this church, and yet the missionary encouraged the new pastor. He encourages the people that love the pastor. And now he comes over here, and he's helping this man to be discipled. And pretty soon there's a church here, and now he's coming over here, and, 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 and he's helping these. And now he's going over here, and there he preached the gospel. And here he confirmed the saints. And here he strengthened the church. And now he's 25, and now he's 34, and now he's 45, and now he's 62, and now he's 71. And now there's a thousand churches. How are you going to spend your life? Oh, I'm going to spend my life having a radical looking website. Okay. I think I might go to another Christian college and learn how to be a physical therapist. Okay. I think I'm going to be a veterinarian. The missions conference, with all due respect to other things, is about raising up Christians and churches that will publish the gospel all throughout the world. And for me, there is no greater way that I would rather spend my life than publishing the gospel, seeing people saved, seeing people confirmed, seeing churches started, seeing God do a great work. And as you surrender your life to missions, you are surrendering your life to the greatest cause of all, the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ.